Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 107.7 The Bronx, 1077thebronc.com proudly nominated for a National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 21, 22, and 2023 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station, as well as the winner of the 2023 IBS College Media Award for universities under 10,000 students. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411. I'm your host, Professor, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health, in Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and perspective. Today, Daniel Geller, our student producer, and I are going to have a conversation with Greg Bosch. Greg is the chairman and CEO of Panavance Therapeutics. Panavance Therapeutics is a company that we'll hear more about um, that is involved with developing cancer treatments and has a, um, a, a call line on its website called Disrupting Cancer's Energy, which I like particularly. Welcome to the program, Greg. Great. Hey, Jonathan, thank you for the opportunity, the invitation. Uh, great to meet you, Dan, as well, and I look forward to the discussion. I think, it, I think it'll be pretty neat. And um, before we get into the business and the science of what you do, for students who might be listening, um, what was your path to being involved with this um, sort of startup biotech kind of company involved with medicine? Uh, it's an interesting, you know, here I, my whole career has been in life sciences. I mean, since graduating uh, X number of years ago, uh, <laughs> And I did not go into the medical or scientific field. Uh, actually, in my undergrad years, I started off thinking maybe pre-med, uh, but a couple things happened, including organic chemistry, as well as recognizing I probably needed to get out and uh, you know start earning an income. Uh, I chose to go into the medical field, but not pursue a medical career. Uh, so my degree is in, a, I have an undergraduate degree in public policy. And then about 10 years later, I ended up getting an MBA uh, in finance. So um, it's really interesting in that I've spent my entire career de dealing with uh, science and, and biochemistry and biology, uh, but I really didn't have a, a deep, deep training in that, in that area. So, so did you find it um, difficult at first or was it a lot of students, um, and I'm speaking generalities here, um, at Ryder and the business school are often intimidated um, by taking science courses or being around students who are studying science because they feel like they're speaking a different language um, and th th they're doing different kinds of, Dan is nodding. <laughs> um, did you experience some of that in, in your career as you got, oh, got came into science <laughs> from the business side? I experienced it almost every day in my career from the very beginning. And I think that the key is if you at least take the perspective that if you embrace it and don't fear it and, 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 and learn from that and be comfortable not having the answers, that's the tricky part, right? We always like, I gotta have the answer. You don't have to have the answer. Just have, we have the right question and be able to have the 
uh, if you will, the self-reflection and, and, the, and the internal confidence to say, look, I, I need your help. I need your, whether it's a, a technical question or whatnot. But uh, uh, I, I remember my, I started out in sales. And my first sales call, I was living in Austin, Texas. And my boss says, you got to go to New Orleans and meet with Martin Marietta. They were building some stuff for the space shuttle. And you got to talk to them about their clean room materials and da 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 And I'm like, yeah, right, boss, sure. And off I flew to New Orleans. I don't know what I was talking about. I literally sat on my floor in my apartment, no furniture, reading literature for like a day before this, this sales call to talk to the head of engineering, a Martin Marietta, you know, which I knew nothing about. And yet, you know, you went in there and you very, very clear to say, here's what I know and here's what I don't. And it's incredible how much people want to help in all aspects of life, but especially in science and medicine, um, if you come across as genuine and sincere and truthful and know and speak with what you have. And uh, so you start with that and, you know, here I am uh, 35 years later, uh, you know, leading an oncology company uh, with some incredibly great chemistry and biology stuff uh, that, uh, you know, that I build on. So that's really cool. So that's a long answer to your question. Yeah. No, but it's, it's a property answer. And, and it's, 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 it, there's, there's so much that you've said that is important for students who are thinking about their careers, about what they're going to do and not do. Um, and um, part of it is being, you know, confident enough just to ask for help. It's oh, being a lifelong learner, always being able to learn new things. And those are all really, really important skills. Um, but this is not a self-help program. This is Health 411. And we want to talk about a, a little bit about what you're doing now, what your company is doing. The company is Panavance Therapeutics. Um, and Panavance Therapeutics, from my understanding, has a molecule that it is studying called GP2250. And um, the company is sort of based on this molecule at, at this point. Can you tell us a little bit of, about the molecule, sort of uh, what Panavance is all about and the kinds of things that it's trying to do? Right, yeah, so, so um, you're correct. So Panavance is focused entirely on this compound, this single asset, which called GP2250, that's the internal name. Uh, we just were uh, learned of our international name designation, it's called mycetionamide, that's gonna be the chemical oh. name kind of going forward, mycetionamide. Am I gonna to have to and, pronounce uh, that? <laughs> yeah, actually, there's a, when you get the information, they literally show you how to pronounce how to it, because okay. all these crazy names come in different ways. Yeah. Um, so it's a really small molecule. Uh, it, it's a, only four steps to manufacture, about 137 molecular weight. So it's a really tiny molecule. And the chemists that look at this go, ah, how can this do so much? And the fact is, you know, sometimes beauty is in simplicity. And so what this drug does uh, is it affects the way a cancer cell uh, generates its own energy. So the way a, a cancer cell creates turns glucose into ultimately ATP or energy. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we've been able to identify through all of our preclinical work is we're having an effect on two key enzymes. This drug, uh, once into mammalian cells, affects the enzyme GAP-DH and hexakinase. And when it does that, it downregulates both of those. That slows down this very inefficient process called aerobic glycolysis, which is what cancer cells predominantly use to generate energy. Mm -hmm which is really important. I mean, we've all heard cancer cells love sugar, right? You know, and so, you know, one of the ways to impact your health is, you know, eat healthier diets, lower um, sugar diets. Cancer cells love this. And so what we're doing affecting these two enzymes, hexakinase and GAP-DH, is we're slowing down the way the cancer cell 
can generate energy and it creates what's called an oxidative stress as well as a metabolic stress on that cancer cell. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna um, interrupt you for a second, Greg, and I'm gonna yep. pretend I'm gonna pretend we're talking um, not to each other and not, not in, in a room full of nerds here, but for people who are listening from the business school who might not know what that is. So, cells that are alive, whether they're cancer cells or, or not cancer cells, undergo this process of um, glycolysis, and glycolysis is the process by which carbohydrates like glucose can be turned into energy for the cell. And that's a normal thing that cells do. Some right. cancer cells um, do it under some conditions that traditional aerobic respiration doesn't do. And that's what Greg is talking about when he says, um, you know, sort of aerobic glycolysis is gonna be interrupted in the process. It's interrupting the process by which the cancer cells are going to generate the energy they need to keep dividing and being cancer cells. Did I sum it up correctly? For people who are listening in a, in a yeah, relatively you, simple way? You're hired. I'm hired. <laughs> and and um, some of the things that scare people away from freshman biology classes is these kind of pathways that people have to memorize. And those pathways have a lot of steps in them and there's um, enzymes involved in all these things. Um, and some of the things, the, the molecules that Greg is mentioning are some of the processes of like, of the, um, that the energy is made in the cancer cells. So we're not gonna have to go through all those steps, but the idea is if you interrupt that, the cell undergoes um, d d different kinds of stressors. And those stressors exactly right. Right, can be some metabolic stress and oxidative stress. And under those conditions, ideally, if that happens for a cell, whether it's a cancer cell or not, for long enough periods of time, the cell will die. Did I get that right? And that's 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 what Jonathan, you're tapping into. Uh, perfect, Dan. I think uh, I think he 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 could take over my job here. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, no, we, it, it, but we don't want to do that. Interesting, and you go through that is so back to the prayer discussion. You you need to know enough about the science that your experts they, they really can go deep, deep, deep. Um, but you have to be able to articulate and on a level that kind of across all spectrums of experience and skill sets and knowledge, people can digest and go, all right, what does that mean? in terms of yeah, how do I wrap my hand around it you want to make or yep. uh, if you're a clinician do you want to engage in the clinical study yeah and we're, we're going to come back and we will continue to make those understandable discussions um, here on health 401 but we're going to take a break for some brief underwriting announcements you are listening to 107.7 the Bronx and 1077 the Bronx.com health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 the Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health if someone you loved was sick how far would you go to make sure they got the best care your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411. One, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. We are continuing our conversation with Greg Bosch, Chairman and CEO of Panavance Therapeutics. 
In the last segment, Greg was telling about a molecule, a novel anti-cancer agent, GP2250, that um, just was just given a name, which I can't pronounce or spell. But My, gonna, mycinamide? <laughs> myosinamide? We're going to call My, it GP... Mycetionamide. Mycetionamide. So how did you, you How did this... How did you find this? How did this molecule show up on your radar? Did you did some chemist set out to develop this, or how did GP twenty two fifty appear in the world? Great question. So, um, so Panavance is owned entirely by a Swiss company, which is called Geislich Pharma. Uh, it's actually a family business over one hundred and seventy years old, and uh, they had some scientists, or specifically a scientist, uh, in their laboratories over in Switzerland, that had developed some other compounds, and they were looking at how to improve as well as to enhance and create new uh, life, patent life, and so forth. And so this drug was developed in the laboratories over in Switzerland uh, about 10 years ago. And uh, so one of the challenges you go through drug development is, all right, you, you have a structure on paper. How do you actually make that in the lab? How do you put the chemicals together, right, to crystallize a structure? And this is a crystalline structure. How do you actually purify it, and how do you make it then ultimately in scale? So it goes through a series of steps, which has been done over the past five, six years. And um, so there is a, 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 an inventor uh, over in Switzerland and, and the family Geislich that supported the development. And so, and so when they started testing it, were they, did, did, was it just something that was screened for? Were you looking for so, drug, drugs that yeah, interfered with glycolysis kind of thing? There were about six or seven different compounds that were developed as an analog to another drug. And they said, you know, there's some early screening. They looked at, does it have effect, for example, as an antimicrobial? And in fact, several of those did, several did not. And then they keep winnowing it down and say, all right, which of these would have the most effect in cancer cells? So you do some early uh, in vitro work. So, you know, looking at stuff in, in um, Petri dishes and in, um, uh, you know, wells and so forth. Uh, and then you say, all right, let's move advanced on to the animal studies. And so you see in animal studies, the earliest work we did was actually looking at different cancers. And specifically, we started with pancreatic cancer, uh, looking at how our drug would affect the animals once they're given pancreatic cancer and the cancer is allowed to grow. So that's kind of a process. First, a chemical process, mm -hmm. synthesizing it. Then a manufacturing process, can you make it? And then ultimately take it into the animal studies uh, or the in vitro, the non-animal studies, and then ultimately into the animal studies to see, you know, can we really have an effect? And those are the studies, of course, that you need to conduct before you go into the human studies, which we could talk about as well. Yeah. Um, but for, and again, I want to you want to call out some people who might be listening. Did you go into this knowing how to do that? Did, did you, do you as, as sort of the chairman and CEO, do you know, have to know how to do each of those things that you mentioned? Whether it's the, cre you, know, you know, did you have to know the scientific process to make the molecule? Did you have to know how to screen it? Did you have to know how to manufacture it? Like, did you, did you have to already know the, the, you know, basic science phase one, phase two? Or did, is that, was that part of your learning um, along the no. way? Yeah, so the short answer is no. Okay. Um, I've had the very fortunate benefit over my entire career involved with everything from small molecules to large molecules like blood derivatives, plasma derivatives, vaccines. And, you, you know, you, you learn, it's really interesting, right? You, you learn 
people have great skill sets and depth in a certain area and they love that and that's their lane they want to be in their lane and they don't want to go outside their lane so um, the short answer to that is no i've had the fortunate benefit of surrounding myself with a team and if you go to panavance.com you can actually see the team and you can see the skill sets of somebody that's in the chemistry manufacturing controls the cmc area or the preclinical area that manages all of our animal studies or for example um, our head of R&D that really understands how to connect the dots between a regulatory strategy with the FDA or the European authorities, uh, with the animal work, with the clinicians. And I have a chief medical officer who's an oncologist that really understands how to design the clinical study and how to measure how the drug's doing in the clinic. So the short answer is no. Uh, what I need to try to do is make sure I have uh, the right folks around the table. In fact, I said at the very beginning, right? I don't have the answers. I'm hoping asking the right questions. It's always fun for me as a non-scientist when I do ask one of those questions and, you know, the, the, the head of chemistry says, Whoa, wow, you shouldn't be asking that one. How'd you, where'd you come up with that? <laughs> because that's, and so that's the, that's the best you can do. And, you know, just this morning we had a conference call with a couple of the team members and we don't have the answers, even that collective group of really smart people. So we said, all right, let's go to our outside advisors. You always have to look externally because the answers are going to be there somewhere. You just need to make sure you're asking the right people. Okay, so I have this very nice biochemistry paper in front of me. And in this paper, they tested this compound on pancreatic cancer cell lines, so in a Petri dish. How far along are you in terms of actual human trials and animal trials? Dan, great question. So we're quite advanced from I mean, the research that you're reading, which just came out recently, just it's interesting how long it takes things to actually get into a published mm -hmm. form. You know, that occurred years ago. So we took that data, which was in pancreatic cancer uh, cell lines, and we took the data that we did in, actually in, in, in the animal uh, models for pancreatic cancer back to the FDA about four years ago. And we have since been uh, in a, what's called a phase one human clinical study. So there, as you may know, drug development, there's different phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, and phase one is always about safety. How much drug can you give to a patient that makes sure it's safe, do no harm, right? So in um, this case, we're treating pancreatic cancer patients. We've now treated 40 patients uh, over the past couple of years. Uh, we, in, as you may know in phase ones, you give a little bit of drug and then you give a little bit more drug and you dose, it's called dose escalation. And you go through a, an algorithmic process to increase the dose, always making sure it's safe. And we're now giving the 10th level of the dose, so the 10th level of the drug, sorry, uh, at the 40 and 41st patient right now. So uh, we're in four US sites, two Korean sites, uh, treating, unfortunately, really sick people. Mm -hmm. Pancreatic cancer is the worst cancer there is, 5% survival rate after five years. And uh, sadly, you really don't have any early warning signs of pancreatic cancer. So we can talk about that in more depth. But uh, we've uh, advanced quite far from that paper you read. Thanks for reading it. And uh, we're now in the human clinic uh, quite far along and quite, quite progressed in our phase one yeah. study. And, and, and so I have an image of GP2250 of being a relatively small molecule. Um, so how is it administered to, to patients? Is it a pill? Is it IV? Is it some other way? Uh, uh, so the way it's manufactured is in a crystalline structure. So think of like a powder ultimately, right? Okay. And that powder is put into 
uh, vials, and then the pharmacy at the hospital or at the oncology clinic would reconstitute, right? So add the solution, in this case, it's lactator ringers, to create a solution. And that solution is then delivered to the patient through an IV line, actually through a central line. Uh, and it's dosed about 60 minutes. It's very simple, very easy to do, very, very well tolerated. And it's about 60 minutes once a week. So the patient comes each week for their treatment and then they go home and, and continue their mm -hmm. their normal activities. And, and one of the things is when the when the when the studies are done in vitro, you know exactly that the the your your drug of interest is getting to your target cells because that's all that's there. Um, when you infuse a new compound like this, how do you know it's going to where you want it to go? So, really good question, and that's kind of the the new direction of oncology is targeted therapy or immuno-oncology, really mm -hmm. targeted, only hitting the cancer cells. Our drug, we know, hits cells, period. The distinction goes back to that mechanism of action I was describing earlier, because normal cells have the ability and use predominantly a process called oxidative phosphorylation. That is the way that normal cells generate energy. So in contrast, cancer cells are using that process I described earlier, which is aerobic glycolysis. So our drug hits the aerobic glycolysis, which is disproportionately the way cancer cells generate energy in contrast to normal cells. So we have the ability to focus on the cancer cell through the way the mechanism of action works versus how normal cells are addressed. So you're not looking for a cell marker that's on the cancer cells, a lot of antibody kind of therapy that people might hear about us about. That's right. Cool. So, um, um, Greg, let's take another break from Health 411 for our underwriting announcements, and we'll be right back. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 107.7 The Bronx. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 107.7 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we. There's no Capital appointment Health. needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. We're continuing our conversation with Greg Bosch, uh, Chairman and CEO of Panavance Therapeutics, and we're hearing about uh, GP2250, um, a novel cancer agent that limits energy metabolism um, in cancer cells. And at the end of the last seg uh, segment, we were hearing about aerobic glycolysis, uh, uh, which is related to, in, in some ways, uh, the Krebs cycle and carbohydrate metabolism, ways that cells uh, can generate energy if they're cancer cells. Um, and so when you, were, when you started giving this drug to people and you know it can find the cancer cells sort of globally, um, do you know it's going to cancer cells just in the pancreas or if you have cancer cells other places? Does it get, theoretically, could it be affecting all of them? 
it does affect all of them. If it's a it's a systemic drug, right? So, uh, and one of the biggest challenges of pancreatic cancer because you find it so late. Typically, it is already metastasized into that's the right. liver or that, other organs. That's what right? I was sort of so, asking about it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so we actually want it to find the cancer cells wherever they may be. Uh, and because it's such a small drug, and because it's given to the you know the, the venous system, it, the vascular system, it, it's clearly potentially going to hit all those cancer cells. Is it the kind of and, drug that uh, will survive uh, multiple paths through the liver? Um, do you, you, you know what I'm asking? Or does it destroy uh, on, like a, on a single pass? So number of passes to the liver is a, a, are also a really good question. Uh, what we know is that the half-life, the PK levels or the pharmacokinetic uh, levels are quite low. I mean, they, they, it very quickly processed out and excreted out through... Um, through the body. So what we are trying to understand is what's the biologic half-life, even though the chemical uh, half-life mm -hmm. may be shorter, what's, how long will this be effective in the system? And back to our clinical study, so we're treating patients, right? So the first couple of patients get dose one, it's safe, fine, you advance to dose two, couple more patients, dose three, and so on. And of the 40 patients we've treated, we've actually had four patients receive what's called a partial response, which is a positive thing, meaning their tumors have shrunk more than 30%. Um, that's wow. not the norm in pancreatic cancer. No, no, no. We all. actually had one patient go two years on the study, clearly an outlier, but that's exciting. And actually he submitted his story to the Let's Win Pancreatic Cancer uh, patient advocacy website. <laughs> great. And, um, That's great. Most recently, we had a patient uh, at the eighth dose level uh, go eight months, and for the first six months, his tumors reduced 50%. And the, you can see in the on the scans, right, uh, the CT scans, you can see these tumors reduce across the board, which is really encouraging. Now, sadly, all these patients still uh, progress in a negative way, meaning their cancers do resume and they start growing because this is such an aggressive cancer. Yeah. So well, as we continue to treat, we're dose escalating. We hope at some point, right, even though it's a phase one safety study in oncology, you're also looking for hints at efficacy, right? So you're treating cancer patients. So you're like, well, hopefully you start to see some efficacy or some potential yes, and, you, and, and just to reiterate you're, you're treating the sick, sickest of the sick at, at this point that they're they're getting your drug right yeah yeah these are actually we're treating patients so so you know you get that you get that terrible phone call you have pancreatic cancer and oh by the way it's so bad there's no surgery you cannot have a surgical mm -hmm. resection so we're going to treat you with a drug in this case it's called fulfirinox that's the first drug you get or the hmm. first line of therapy. That's the standard of care at this point. Standard of care. Uh -huh. And then you come and then you, it's called progress. It's actually a negative thing, right? You, your, your cancer grows and you go into second line and that's where we're treating patients. And we're treating the patients in combination with the standard of care there, which is called gemcitabine. So it's our drug plus, plus. gemcitabine. And the reason you do that because it's an experimental drug, if you're the one that unfortunately would have cancer, you want to make sure you're getting the best possible shot on goal. So you give the patient the standard of care plus this new and potentially a beneficial uh, Which is a good drug. thing. So it can be administered as a sort of a drug cocktail. And a lot of drugs do that. They work better as cocktails as opposed to individual drugs. And like, that's probably where you're going with that. Long -term. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's often the, oftentimes the case. In fact, Falfirinox, which is the first line 
is actually a cocktail of, of multiple drugs. It's not a single compound. The, the, let, the letters spell like what, what those are. Um, right. Well, let me ask you this. When, when, when people in the pancreatic cancer world, and it's, I'm going to go a little biology with this, but you probably have the answer, is you, tell you, you say if pancreatic cancer, the tumor shrinks. Does pancreatic function, does it come back at all? Or are there enough good pancreatic cells left that even if you got the tumor to shrink, the pancreas can continue to do its job? Uh, the short answer is yes, right? Okay. If, if, I mean, if, you, if your tumor shrink, it, the pancreas is still functioning. And what happens typically is when you get pancreatic cancer, people, the way you notice is it, you go jaundice or your eyes turn mm -hmm. yellow green. That's because, you know, things are getting shut down and shut. Yeah. And, and, and some and people develop diabetes as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so um, it, of the 40 patients that we've treated, though, it, I mean, all of them have progressed, right? So, mm -hmm. again, this is uh, one of the most challenging, in fact, probably is the most challenging cancer, this and maybe a glioblastoma or, or you know, a, a tumor to the brain uh, where it's difficult to reach them. Um, well, but the short answer is, yeah, I mean, the goal would be to return these patients to complete right. Uh, function of their of all their organs, especially the pancreas. Right. So, but, but go on, go on, Dan. So you talked about various doses. I'm just as a quick sidebar. What are like the normal doses you give people? Like the first line dose, second line dose. That's a really great question. So, um, and I'll go a little uh, a little techie on you here, right? So when we give an first, first of all, you say how much can we give of the drug, and you do the studies in animals, and we got up to what's called 750 milligrams per kilogram okay. body weight of the animal, which is a very, very mm -hmm. high dose, which means it's a very safe drug. When we met with the FDA uh, appropriately, you know, the way they have an algorithm and a process, they say, look, uh, this is a new drug. It's never been in man. We want to make sure it's really, really safe. So we started all the way, we went way back down in our first levels were 250 milligrams of drug, which for actually most drugs, that's quite a bit. But for ours, it's a small amount. We're now giving 15 grams of drug at cohort 10, one wow. five grams, so 15,000 milligrams. And we have always expected we'd be here, and we actually expect to be going higher uh, into the next couple cohorts. We hope in the next cohort or two, so if I said we're in cohort 10, we'd like to go up to cohort uh, 11 or cohort 12, we will start to be able to lock in on a dose. And once we lock in on that dose, let's say it's 20 grams, 30 grams, that's the dose we'll take into the advanced studies, the phase two, threes, and so forth for other cancers like pancreas and mm -hmm. ovarian and so on. Yeah, and you mentioned um, you put you put out there glioblastoma, and so I'm assuming that this molecule can get through the blood-brain barrier then too and get into the brain. So, these are super good questions. Uh, we have not done the study on the blood-brain barrier, but for the reason you mentioned, because of the size of the weight, 137 yeah. molecular weight, the size of the compound in terms of the structure, it should be able to get through the blood-brain barrier. And we have done work in vitro on glioblastoma, and it looks great, but we have not yet attempted it. Uh, that is the other, you know, big, big challenge is, is glioblastomas and uh, uh, any kind of tumor within the brain where it's hard to access uh, easily. So um, we've picked one hard battle, pancreatic. We'll probably leave that mm -hmm. one for another year or two down the yeah, road. Yeah. Um, but the, but, but the, the nice, what I'm hearing about this, and, and I'll just sum up a little bit because we have to take another break for underwriting, is that this you know, anti-cancer ancient could have a broad spectrum effect. 
kinds of things. You're going dealing in the brain has, creates other issues too about removing dead cells and all. There's a whole bunch of factors involved. Um, but we can come back and we can talk about this. I'm, I'm very curious about this mechanism of disrupting cancer's energy, and I want to hear more about it. Um, you are listening to Health 411 on 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell, to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties, to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 7.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Welcome back to Health 411. I'm Professor Jonathan Karp. We are continuing our conversation with Greg Bosch of Panavance Therapeutics, where he is the chairman and CEO. And we're hearing about the product that Panavance Therapeutics is developing um, for, for, in theory, a, a whole bunch of kind of cancers, but right now primarily for patients with pancreatic cancer. If somebody has a family member or knows somebody um, with pancreatic cancer, how would they contact you to maybe be part of these tr clinical trials? Uh, so, great question. So, certainly, uh, you can go to panavance.com, and actually on there we uh, have a, a section where you can, you know, ask to participate. But ultimately, of course, it would be with that patient discussing with his or her oncologist. There are four U.S. centers, one in Boston at Harvard Beth Israel, one in North Carolina at the Wake Forest uh, Health System, one in California at USC and one at Kansas, the University of Kansas. There's four sites geographically dispersed. And uh, right before the break, you mentioned other cancers. And absolutely, the way this drug works, if it works pancreatic, it should work in most types of cancers. We've had publications in the past two years from uh, squamous cell, mesothelioma, pancreatic neuroendocrine, uh, uh, Oh, Adenocarcinomas. Merkel cell. Okay. I mean, we've had publications in multiple cancers. We've done over 15 wow. different types of studies. So you're absolutely correct. If this works, it should be a very broad uh, anti-neoplastic. And, wow, and that, that, that would be pretty cool. But right now, the, 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 the studies for pancreatic cancer are sort of leading the way. They're part of the, the tip of the ship right now. Um, correct. I am very, very curious about um, the mechanism of action of this drug. Um, and so when you say things like it, you know, it, it's going to interfere with the, you know, uh, you know, aerobic glycolysis of the cells and generate metabolic stress and uh, some oxidative stress because the cells are sort of like going to starve to death. And cancer cells, I'm just going to put a, by definition, are metabolically active cells. They stop doing whatever the cell's supposed to be doing. They burn a lot of energy and they divide all the time. Um, that's sort of the definition of cancer. Um, and I'm really curious, like this molecule, like what, like have you worked out the mechanism, the, like this target or targets of how it's actually doing that? So 
Uh, great question. In fact, we haven't even talked about kind of this tangential or dual path mechanism. I've already talked about hexokinase and GAP-DH and what it's doing there, which drives this uh, oxidative and metabolic and even a hypoxic stress. We downregulate HIF-1-alpha, for example. We also know, though, another major pathway of mechanism of action is we're downregulating what's called NF-cap-beta, which is an enzyme which really is can cancer cells used extensively to uh, basically transcribe protein and transcribe DNA, which is a, the building blocks of cell growth and cell proliferation. So we have this kind of dual path, uh, and it's interesting. There's a publication that's coming out uh, very soon on, well, part of it's covered in the publication you mentioned, uh, Dan, uh, with the pancreatic cancer cells. Uh, MD Anderson out of Texas just had a poster earlier this year and a publication's forthcoming looking at the same mechanism, the same impact in ovarian cancer cells and uh, showing how, you know, it actually has anti-VEGF and anti-angiogenic impact through this hypoxic yes. stress pathway. Oh, that's so, interesting because, um, the, the, you know, um, um, angiogenesis years ago was a big, a big uh, research area for trying to starve cancer cells ki kinds of things. Um, I, don't, I, I have not been following that, but I know that was really big for a while, and so there might be some overlap there. You mentioned NF-kappa B, and um, I first learned of NF-kappa B when I was doing um, neuroimmunology kind of research, because NF-kappa B is involved with immune system activation and stuff like that. So does your drug target immune cells too? Does it like, down-regulate um, you know, immune reactivity in any sort of way? Well, we know that the drug uh, impacts cytokines, right? So, you know, one of the things is... Which are some uh, of the cellular things that, that immune cells secrete, some of the chemical, ke molecules of chemical exactly communication. exactly right. And we know that we are directly blocking the cytokines, and we've done a lot of studies preclinically to show that, um, which have a tangential benefit in oncology. For example, a lot of the immuno-oncology drugs these days have quite a cytokine storm. So, yes. you know, if we can impact the way cytokines and knock those down. Um, but that's really not a focus. We did, but we do know that about the drug because of the NF-kappa-beta pathway that you mentioned. Yeah, cool. Um, let me ask this too, and, and we touched on it, but I, w I want you to sort of address it directly. If this works and you can actually starve cancer cells to death, right, is, is, is there a, is, is there, is there a biological mechanism where those cells can be cleaned up and removed? Well, and and uh, is, that, is that part of what the studies are looking for? Yeah, so, so really interesting question. Our drug isn't gonna have a process in terms of the removal of the cancer right. cell, but if the cancer cell dies through, for example, what's called apoptosis, where yep. right, that's what we're driving through, starving of energy, creates an apoptotic event. You know, the body processes those tissues, but you know, one of the things that happens when cancer cells proliferate uh, or, and or die is they release uh, DNA, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so you have this circulating tumor DNA, ctDNA as it's called. So one of the things we're going to try to measure is how much circulating tumor DNA exists in the body oh, as a result of our drug being given. Can we yes, track, track the tumor things? load or tumor removal load from that? That's, a, that's really clever. So how is that done? But by just by blood analysis? Kind of thing? Correct. It's a it's a blood analysis. Correct. And there are companies that specialize in CTDNA 
analysis or, or, or it's a diagnostic right tool that, mm. that measures it. Just like you'd measure a, a normal blood marker or cancer marker, there are now technologies that can measure circulating tumor DNA. Because think about it, if there's a tumor and it's not doing, it's just sitting there, it's not good, but it's not at least growing. The way tumors grow is they, in the way they metastasize, right, is they send little cells out, right? And so one of the challenges, even if you surgically remove a tumor, is you're letting little cells go into the system and you're letting partial cells and DNA go out. So one of the uh, tricky things is measuring circulating tumor DNA. So if you have a tumor, but no circulating tumor DNA, you're probably in a better case than if you have someone that really has quite a bit of CTDNA. Does that make That's sense? Cool. So I, so I have a question just because we, we're, we're nearing time, end, end of time, but I want to ask this. If we were to have you back on Health 411, and I'm going to say two or three years, ideally, what, what would you want to be talking about then, about your, about your molecule and about Panavance, uh, looking ahead in a little bit of time? And I don't know if two or three years is the right window. Um, if it's not, tell me. But what would you, if we had you back, if everything goes as you want it to go, where are you? Yeah, so two, three years, we would be uh, deep into at least two cancer studies, advanced studies, one in pancreatic cancer, the other in ovarian cancer, and we're targeting platinum-resistant ovarian cancer. And it, in fact, in both of those studies, in three years, we should be very far along uh, to actually wrapping up uh, those studies, at least to the point where we're being able to look at the data uh, and be able to then move forward with a regulatory pathway with the various, you know, FDA and European authorities and so on. That's, that's really cool. And so you have a window, and um, um, <laughs> I, think, I think it's really cool. It's it's, it's sort of fascinating um, what your what a you know a, you know the sort of the path, sort of your professional path and the science path. Um, of the, the development of this molecule. And it's really, um, there are so many possibilities that are out there that it, it is sort of exciting. And um, It is exciting. Yeah. And I think the biggest challenge, and it's tangential to the entire conversation we've had, is how does this get paid for, right? Because this is incredibly expensive. And mm -hmm. over the past 24 months, uh, the environment for financing life science companies has really never been worse. Uh, it's, a, it's a challenge across the board public and private companies. So um, I guess the other answer in two, three years, I hope we continue to be extremely well financed <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> to be able to drive these programs forward. Excellent. And, and um, I wish you a lot of success, Greg. Um, unfortunately, we're coming to the end of this segment on Health 411. Um, uh, thank you so much, Greg Boss, Chairman and CEO at Panavance Therapeutics. Been a great guest and a good conversation. Uh, this is 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Thank you for listening. This program is part of Capital Health and Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address issues associated with all aspects of health and healthcare. I'd like to thank again Greg Boss, Chairman and CEO of Panavance Therapeutics, and we hope today's conversation has given you things to think about about cancer treatments as related to disturbing um, cancer cancer's energy. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.org. you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronc is underwritten 
written by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 